Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, the hobby uh, dinner conversations, hence the poor quality audio. I'll list in the show notes who was there, distinguished group, thanks sponsors, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stay Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. The conversation was about an hour and a half <laughs> over dinner in a big room. There was just too much good stuff, so I decided to break my 15-minute rule. But again, it's my rule. Nobody's imposing on me, uh, not even my awesome wife, who has suggested 15 minutes. So it's a suggestion, and I'm going to keep to it 99% of the time. So here it is. Okay, I believe there's like a civil war in the hobby. <laughs> and the North is Fanatics, and the South is Panini. And they are battling it out. And just like in the Civil War, or the war between the states, this is not good for our industry. But what about other kinds of civil wars or conflicts that might occur? We'll start with the imagined conflict, the real conflict of vintage versus non-vintage. Now, I don't think there's gonna be a lawsuit, but there is tension sometimes in the podcast, in the content creators, that vintage is safe, modern is not, or modern is where the promotion and action is, and vintage is stodgy and tired. And then I wanted to call on Chris and Christina, is that if it's a battle between vintage and non-vintage, where do you go with the mid-late 90s inserts? I think that's more like vintage than it is modern. There's others, like uh, Americans versus the world, like Ryder Cup. There could come a time in the next five or 10 years, this hobby becomes more dominated by people outside the United States. I think if Fanatics has their way, I think they're gonna be a lot more Europe, Asia, for sure. I always wanna see it as a healthy tension, but Fanatics and Panini is not healthy tension. It's a winner-take-all, and all these other things I'm talking about should not be winner-take-all. We should want vintage to do well and modern to do well. You've also got baseball versus the other sports. You've got sports versus non-sport and entertainment versus TCGs. And are they really competing for the same dollar? Is there really a battle there? If you're a shop owner, like Joe, but you're catering to all of those, and you're a man of peace, that's for sure. So what do you see there? You just serve the people what they want. In general, as far as the sports cards and non-sport battle, we're selective on which non-sport and TCDs we will carry. We're much more of a sports store, so we don't see as much of that. We do carry uh, some variety of non-sports as well. But uh, as far as the, the battle between the modern and the vintage, we pride ourselves in having a huge vintage selection in store that's very different than your typical brand new card store. So we have a whole wall of vintage from 48 up, broken down by year. And we have lock set builders can still come in and complete sets with us. So we try to have that harmony between new and old. But yet it's the new products that's still the attraction that brings people in the door. But you don't see any enmity between shop owners and show dealers. There have been times in, a, in the industry where there was some jealousy or challenge. The shows were stealing business away from the local shops or uh, vice versa. Uh, I think they get along now, but that also can be a conflict. Yeah, for the Atlanta area, we're about an hour away from where most of the shows are held. It's not 
that close. We don't really deal with that side of it. Feels like there's enough room for all. The pie is just getting bigger. Maybe not at the same rate as it might have been two and a half years ago, but it feels like there's room for all, and it's been that way for a long time in the hobby. We go to the Strongsville show, let's say in Ohio, vintage show, right? Relatively small. 80 tables. If you only had one genre of cards, this would be a very boring place. It would be a, it, the Dallas show wouldn't be what the Dallas show <coughs> is. You need all of it to coexist to make this show a destination show and other big shows. Even the National is not all one side or the other of the Mason Dixon line. And you've got everybody coexisting. I, I'm not one of those guys that's going, man, I hate these oh, modern nice cards. This is terrible for the hobby. Funny thing is, a car shop owner, a show, the, the propagation of the hobby needs those things to work somewhat in concert together. The status quo is good here. Just keep it the way it is. What would be a catalyst for that change? <clears throat> Wouldn't the catalyst be if you start getting less people coming to the show? Overall? And you wanna and you wanna draw more people to, to get through the doors. Then you would just create more diversity, right? Not less. I think Fanatics is going to try to uh, put out a very diverse show. Yeah, It's not going to be the show we grew up on. That experience is going to change over the next half decade. I'm more of the wait, let's see how it looks. I don't know if I'm going to like it or hate it or I've never been to one. I can't tell you what I'm going to feel about it. Then maybe, Jim, you start seeing that bifurcation of, no, I want an old school experience. Joe, you're not that far from Culture Collision, the big show in Atlanta. Do you go to that show? Oh, yeah. It's different. They've got a basketball court on the floor. So there's people playing basketball. There's a, a DJ playing like rap music and pop and stuff. The first year, it was really overbearing. You're yelling at your client in front of you over the music. They got a lot of complaints and they backed it off. But because it, it, his vision was like streetwear shoes, comics, cards all blended into one big show but it was 80 percent cards and a little bit of shoes a little bit of comics but the second year it was very well attended and the music was a little bit quieter they still had the basketball going on but thankfully i was on the opposite end from where both the music and the basketball court was so i got the same spot for this coming show i love it when i see somebody's trying to be innovative to bring new people into the hobby maybe not the way i would do it but maybe it exposes new collectors in a way that I, I couldn't do it on a show I was from. What I see a lot of now that I think I'm missing the boat on is I'll get a whatnot seller coming to my table. A guy I had never seen in my life. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. And he throws down $10,000 on what I call new modern junk wax. And he says, I'm gonna sell this tomorrow. I'll be done tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm just scratching my head. Or he's throwing down two, three, four thousand dollars on Jersey Relic cards and says, I'm gonna put these in one touch magnetics. I, I sold a guy last month four thousand one touch magnetics. Cause he's running around the show buying dollar cards or jumping on Comp C selling dollar cards saying, I'm gonna get twelve dollars for this. It's all about the presentation and the perceived value they're giving to these guys, and there's more money, and that's literally what Fanatics is going after. I, don't, I really don't think they're worried about us. Jim, Dave, and I, we all work with a bunch of people 
who were at Panini and now at Fanatics. We know people on both sides. We have to be very careful because it's a difficult issue for us because we want the hobby to succeed and we want our friends to succeed. I see some of these whatnotters, they need cards. More than what I was doing when I was their age. But you were a young Turk. You were one of the first early graders, too. Yeah. You and your brother moved to Arlington because you were sending so many cards to yeah. Beckett. The whatnot thing. Does that bother you because... I don't understand it. You're like, why would somebody pay $12 for a card that I'll sell for a dollar? It's perceived value. The card's only worth what someone's willing to pay for. Exactly. Everything is perceived value, so they're doing a better job than us. Why can't we get to that point? Why would that bother me? I want to be that. If but, you put the card in a mag with $12 on it, will you sell it? At a show? Absolutely not. Unless I have 15,000 followers, there's more people online. That's where more money is Tremendous more people. Yeah. Mike, how many followers do you have on your YouTube videos? On Chasing Cards? Yes, sir. 35,000 views a video? You have a pretty intense audience. Are you able yes. to monetize? No, are you able to monetize? You're not monetizing that. You're giving uh, away a million dollars a year. If you had a whatnot following. We've done whatnot, we've done loop sales to some degree of success. But cards don't sell for markedly more than they do on eBay or somewhere else. On what, when we sell stuff. Not consistently, but sometimes they do, and that's what you hear about. Yes. I enjoy going through people's cards when they buy from them. Because I like looking at someone's thought process and understanding. Do you consider that person a hobbyist? The whatnot customer? No, the person who walks up to your table. The yes. Buyer. I analyze every customer differently based on what they're taking out of my inventory. If they're scanning every single card, they're hobbyists in their own terms because they hold value based on eBay comps. Someone else doesn't touch their phone and they're buying based on what they collect. So everyone is a hobbyist on their own terms, you could say. They're hobbyists because they like the money. Everybody likes to make money. That's not a hobby. They, they like making hobby. money buying and selling sports cars. Why not then go learn about coins? At least or sneakers, whatever the Or at least they're learning about what we do. Rich brought up a point that there's a, a shop going in somewhere and they're going to only have $250 and under. And the other tension is of people that collect cards that are less than $250 think the people that are collecting cards that are always a whole lot more than 250 are ruining the hobby. <laughs> There's a coexistence there, but they're almost two different hobbies. I know somebody when they were managing a <laughs> store that never wanted to have value boxes on the counter of the store he was managing. The minute he owned his own store, the value boxes ended up going right on his showcases. He realized the difference between, oh, wait a second, all of a sudden it's my money, I better be having more accessible cards to the customers. What do you feel about talk of the national about segregating different tiers yeah. of cards on the floor? That's not happening. It's, it's another polarization. It's not animosity, but each side thinks the other side are second-class citizens. <laughs> 20 years ago at the National, they actually put all the sports art dealers in two rows together because a lot of people would skip over them, so what they wanted to do is the people who wanted to buy the sports art, it was easier just to put them together. All the breakers are together. Way back in the day, the Beanie Baby cables were all together. As a consumer, I'm not against that. Yeah. 
the aisles are a little thick around the modern uh, table. No offense to the modern collectors. I turn around when I see that. Try to find another approach. And what about somebody that has both? Yeah. Now I could see fanatics doing that with their, their new show. They need vintage because that uh, defeats the monopolistic notion that they control the market. They don't control vintage. Do we think vintage is more dollars than new cards? I don't think so. Ooh, I don't think so. I think new cards, card shops for sure, yeah. are more than 80-20. And your live streamers are 90-90% new cards. Fanatics loves to make a slice of other people's work. Painting everyone with the same brush all the time. Usually it doesn't work. We know this. They're not the ones that are doing the painting. They're the ones that are ordering the painting. We're going to let Kyle, if Kyle's part of it, he's going to do his show under the Fanatics umbrella. If they acquire culture collision, they're going to do it their way with Fanatic supervision. They're going to do it. They're going to, they're going to control it and let somebody else do the work. Yeah, I, I spoke with a rep from there recently and he said they, they hope to launch in 2024. Part of their vision was they wanted to to tailor shows around major events, not in you know, the All-Star game or the whatever, XYZ sports event. But they wanted to also use their stable of both celebrity and sports signers to incorporate them into events. So you have an incredible lineup of autographs at any of these events. If Kyle had four times as many autograph signers, which fanatics could clearly bring to it, would that make it a better show? The parking would now be $20 <laughs> instead of 10 There'd be lines, at least for the autographs. I'm not sure it translates to the overall hobby. Experience. It depends on how who the guests are and how much they cost. If you get reasonably priced players, and most of the Kyle's guests currently are very reasonably priced. Yeah. Yeah. And they're retired. Yeah. Philly Show's bringing in some bangers in the autographs. Ricky Henderson, Dr. James Schmidt. <coughs> Rose, Ben, show higher level than this stuff. So, but does that drive attendance to the show? Do people go to the National just for the autograph guests? Yeah, they do actually. A lot of people go to the National, especially with the depth of the guests that are at the National. You will have people go to the National who never leave the autograph pavilion. Fanatics would be wise, in my opinion, as somebody who does not collect vintage, to make sure that there's always a presence for vintage at shows. It might not be conscious, but subconsciously, as a collector of modern and ultra-modern cards, when I walk around a show, and I, out of the corner of my eye, see a 52 Tops Mantle PSA 4 with its price tag on it, it suggests to me, and implants in my mind, these are durable items that hold value for a long time. That's the mindset, hopefully, ingrained in the new collectors so as much as there is a flip culture of I own something for a month and then I flip it for 10% more and then I reinvest and keep doing it with no end user in sight hopefully the vintage side of things teaches the, the notion there is an end user in sight and that an item can be 70 80 100 years old and still be as desired or more desired than the day it was made those cards their value is based on the history whereas today's cards are based on the promise the player's potential. That's the difference in vintage and modern. As a collector of both modern as well as vintage, there has to be a common 
than dimension found across both modern and vintage. Once that's found, the idea is to just broaden the size of the market. This is not about whether the show is going to be this one or that one. A few more people come here, a few more people come there. Ruben's got a 41 billion market cap. He's got to grow the market. This is about making this thing way bigger. And in the context of making it bigger, allowing everyone to enjoy the full spectrum of the hobby from the 1880s to the mantles to the modern to everything. What are the main reasons I love the hobby? Fanatics wants to sell new product, effectively printing money, and the market where we're reselling and we're driving margin there. I think if commonality could be found there, we could grow a big market.